Hello Mzanzi, welcome to this special edition of Farmer's Inside Track. My name is Duncan Masiwa and I'm your host for this episode powered by Kahiso Trust. Now, communal farmers across our nation are facing significant struggles in their efforts to grow and sustain their agricultural practices. Kahiso Trust, however, is committed to addressing these challenges. In this podcast panel discussion, our speakers shed light on the realities faced by emerging rural and communal farmers, but more importantly, explore implementable solutions. Joining us for this conversation is Lovuyo Sibani, Business and Fund Manager at Kahiso Trust, as well as Zolani Nkiba, Secretary General for Contralesa, and they are joined by Malapana Tamaha, who is an agricultural economist and representative for Minister Tokodidiza on the Maize Trust. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and for having this very important conversation with us. We're talking communal and rural farmers across Mzanzi. You know, some of the struggles and challenges that they face, I always say that we very well know what the issues are and therefore it's quite important to find implementable solutions. So hopefully, uh, you know, following today's conversation, we'll walk away with just that. And uh, hopefully whoever is listening, you know, will be able to take this conversation forward in their respective fields and boardrooms where they sit and decision-making platforms. Levuyo, I'm going to start with you as the business and fund manager at Kahiso Trust. Paint us quickly a picture. Kahiso Trust, you've worked well with farmers. You have an understanding of the challenges that these farmers face. Take us through it. What do you think are the main challenges that farmers that operate on rural and tribal land face? Thanks, Duncan. At Kahiso Trust, as you know, Kahiso Trust is a development agency that was set up sometime back in the mid-80s. And over the years, I think our flagship program was in education, but the organization, the agency has evolved to the extent that we have got a number of additional you know, programs that we run, one of which is a program on socioeconomic development to push really, you know, for social justice in the running of the economy. So we've got that program and through that program, we've targeted agriculture as, a, as one of the key industries, you know, or sectors where we can push for transformation in the economy. So over the years, we have uh, made some observations in terms of the sufferings, particularly of black emerging farmers. We have realized that there is a unique set of challenges faced by especially emerging farmers who farm on rural land, you know, in the rural areas where the land is owned communally by the community, but administered of the traditional councils or traditional leaders. We have found that there's a unique set of uh, challenges, but generally there's a common set of challenges faced by black emerging farmers in general in the economy. Chief among them would include your access, adequate access to finance, adequate access to market opportunities, you know, where you are able to sell produce, where you find that there's existing value chain networks that are closed to the emerging farmers. Black farmers who, for a long period of time, for decades and decades, have been locked outside, you know, that, that kind of system. So they struggle, uh, you know, to access uh, those networks. There's the issue of adequate access to technical skills, especially now with the evolution of, of technology and advancements. Zolani, I'm going to bring you into the conversation here. Vuyo talks about some of the common challenges that farmers face, especially those that are linked to tribal land. Some of those include adequate access to market opportunities, 
in some cases even water to irrigate crops as well as technical skills. You work quite closely with traditional leaders and I would assume communities as well. What is your experience? What are the main challenges that farmers on tribal lands face in terms of land rights and access to agricultural land, but also what Lavuyo mentioned, markets and even water? Thank you very much, Duncan, for having us in this conversation. I think the previous speaker actually said a mouthful in terms of giving a high-level situation as it manifests in the rural communities. Of course, he has only focused on the challenges. I was hoping that when we address these matters, we need to deal with objective factors as well as the subjective factors. Much as there are challenges that uh, he has outlined, but there are also advantages of being in the rural setting when it comes to farming. Let me start off by saying that the emerging farmers who practice in our communities, especially under the jurisdiction of traditional leadership, is that the access to land is not a problem. I think we must say that. We are saying it's not a problem simply because they don't need to pay in order to work the land, in order to have access to the land which they want to farm on. And that is very fundamental. The second issue is that the issue of uh, land tenure in the rural landscape is different from one province to the other. Other provinces, the communal land is very good, arable land. In other areas, it's really not fit for purpose, depending on what you want to do. And of course, other areas have got water in a state of abundance. The issue is how you move that water to a point wherein there is an instrument of irrigation which is an issue now that is related to finance. Water is there, but the movement of water from the river or from the dams into the fields, sometimes it becomes a difficulty and it's an issue that is related to what he has raised, the issue of access to finance. So as the institution of traditional leadership, especially under the leadership of Condoleezza, we try our level best to give our utmost support to the emerging farmers because they are a critical component of the rural economy, an antithesis of the long euphoria of referring to the rural areas as dead economies. To us, those economies have been sustained through subsistence farming, first and foremost. So there is subsistence farming, which is a very important feature of the social fabric of the rural communities because it carries rigorous canons of our heritage in terms of livestock, for instance, in terms of food production, for family consumption. But secondly, the emerging farmers are there as part of the entry level of commercial farming. So that is where the support is also required. Not to say on subsistence farmers, it is not required. So we need to have a very balanced approach when we deal with this subject because in so far as food security, it is a critical issue for us to ensure that the support that we call for on the emerging farmers does not negate the support that is required for subsistence farming. And subsistence farming must never be undermined because it is not only part and parcel of our tradition, but it plays a key role in ensuring that there is no poverty that leads to a situation that people go to bed without eating. In most rural areas, you will never find any children on the street. There are no street kids, simply because there's food on the table. But there is a new phenomenon which is discouraging people from working the land. And I think we must counter that. And I would be very pleased if we can work with Kakisho Trust 
so that we join hands and build strength in ensuring that we encourage our people never to negate land and allow our land to lie fallow. And apparently some interesting points being made there, Bazalani, he talks about there actually being advantages to being a rural farmer, access to land not being a problem. In your opinion, what are the primary hurdles that emerging farmers encounter, especially when it comes to seeking finance opportunities? How does all of this impact rural emerging farmers when it comes to funding and financing opportunities? Thank you, Duncan, for the invite. I think that um, Kiva makes a very important point in saying that the rurals, especially the communal lands that we find in the country, provide quite an opportunity, especially for entry-level farmers, get an opportunity to get involved in farming. I further like the point around history that we did not just wake up and find ourselves where we are. We are where we are. We have the homelands because of the history of discrimination. And as a result, we have this skewed ownership of land in the country. So whenever we have a conversation of this nature, Duncan, I always mention about six points that unfortunately go hand in hand to say you cannot speak finance without speaking access to land, access to water, access to market, as well as the technical abilities, what I call the QQC, the quality, quantity, and consistency of production in terms of agriculture output. But lastly is the issues related to climate change, which speaks to the disaster outbreak, the production risk and institutional risk. What do I mean by production risk? We have your floods, your heat waves, your hail, drought, as well as institutional risks, which include some man-made, including the energy crisis that we're currently experiencing in the country, as well as some you know, poor infrastructure, especially in the rural areas. So when you speak to access to finance, one or the other, you're going to have to speak about all these issues. Because depending on what form of finance you want to access, you're going to have to go back to say, do you have collateral? Do you have title deeds to your land so that we know as a commercial bank that we are safe in case we, you default, we know where to go to. Do you have water rights? We know in agriculture we do use water. Do you have water rights? Of which a majority of our emerging or developing farmers let. Do you have offtake agreement? This is the arrangement you will have typically with your retail store or an agribusiness to say, I'll be supplying you with so much of this product. And unfortunately, those bigger stores tend to, I always say, that require bigger quantities, of which uh, most of our small guys or emerging farmers are unable to meet. And lately, there's been a serious emphasis around a GAP certification, that you have to be a local GAP certified for you to get that offtake agreement as well. So all of these things that I'm mentioning, they come at the cost. Unfortunately, banks, they don't get lenient because you are an emerging farmer or a communal farmer at a standard that you have to meet. This requires us to be a little innovative around how we fund emerging farmers in the sector. Lavia, our speakers are quite clear that the unique challenges that emerging rural farmers are faced with, they all have a root cause, you know, dating back decades ago. In the landscape of agricultural funding, what innovative approaches has Achiso Trust adopted to address the unique challenges faced by these farmers? What we have done as Achiso to assist 
because we have observed that it's not enough to rely on the conventional mechanisms that exist, like, for instance, your, your banking sector, even the government sector. Although the government sector, you know, we have what, what is called a developmental state that is actively involved in the upliftment of communities, especially your previously disadvantaged communities. But as an NGO, you know, a non-government organization, we are there to monitor the situation. We are there to spark conversations when necessary. We are there also to start initiatives and to develop solutions, innovative solutions, you know, that can be replicated and mainstreamed and adopted, even to assist, to enhance what the government is doing and what the private sector is doing. So through our program in socioeconomic development, we have established what is called the Jala Impact Fund, where we aim to assist where possible to alleviate some of the challenges that we have, uh, we have identified. Uh, that is your access to finance, access to market opportunities, and your access to technical skills. We identify these as the key requirements for successful, for prerequisites really, for success in the sector. But what we have done, which we think is more on the side of innovation, is that we don't give a funding. First of all, let me make it clear that our funding is not grant funding, it's loan funding. We don't give a loan to an individual farmer, but to a collective of farmers through an entity that we call a farmer aggregator. So this entity, we place a number of requirements, you know, on this entity, prerequisites, before we engage them, give them access to their loan so that they assist the emerging farmers within the entity. So one of the first things is that there must be existence of advanced technical know-how to ensure that there's going to be good quality in terms of, of the produce, also in terms of the frequency of the produce. We don't find a situation where they can produce one harvest and then the next time they're supposed to supply whatever market they've identified, they're not able to supply. So we believe that technical new expertise assists in that regard. The second element is the existence of markets. So this entity has to ensure that there's access to marketing the form maybe of off-take agreements, and then we come in with a loan. Another thing that we also try to put in place is that of partnerships and collaborations with other financiers through what we call co-funding arrangements due to limited resources on our part, and also to ensure that, you know, there's collaborations, there's working together, you know, as the different role players in the sector to avoid the issue of, of working in silos. In the past, we have seen cases of what is called double tipping, of which you provide fatal ground when you work, uh, you know, in silos as the different institutions, but rather you can conquer that by working together, collaborating. Those are part of, of the interventions that we have put in place to innovate in the sector. But one of the other things, Daniel, that I would have wanted to mention, you know, in terms of the challenges that are especially unique for farming in rural land is the issue of title deeds. Where you find emerging farmers who farm, particularly in, in rural communal land, you'll find them complaining that they struggle to access funding, especially in the conventional funding houses, due to the fact that they don't have title deeds to the land. But I understand that this is the whole set, you know, of arguments, you know, Maybe if we can also cover that as well under this, the challenges that are faced by emerging farmers, particularly in, in communal land. Definitely, Lavuyo, I definitely want to touch on that. And hopefully, you know, Zolani, you are able to provide us some perspective around what Lavuyo is referring to, title deeds. Are there any specific legal or regulatory barriers that hinders a farmer's ability to actually secure and utilize land on tribal territories? No, you see, from our perspective, when uh, the emerging farmers require access to land to do this work, 
there isn't really a difficulty in terms of regulations. The real regulatory difficulty is when they want to have funding which they want to access. You know that the communal land is held in trust under the Ministry of Land Affairs. Let me put it that way. In order now to get financing institutions to bring resources forward, they need certain paperwork. You know, they can't just take a PTO permission to occupy, which is an instrument which doesn't have a strength in the financial world. So the minister's signature would be critical. And it's a very difficult bureaucratic process to get to a level where the minister actually gives that uh, signature. It's very difficult to access that. So that's what I would highlight as the major problem. As long as the emerging farmer who wants to access the land follows the process locally by ensuring that he goes to the council and there's a community meeting, then things get easier to be approved. There is no red tape, as it were. It's just a communal consultation process, which doesn't even take long. This is a very simple process. It's definitely encouraging to hear that, Zalani. We'd love to hear more about you know some of the work and success stories, whether that you've seen when it comes to agricultural projects on tribal land. We'd love to hear more about that. But maybe just Malapani to bring you into the conversation. What seems to be the major differentiator between successful and struggling emerging farmers? when it comes to securing funding? Thank you, as a start. It will be important to just unpack the definition of what we mean by emerging, because it's quite a broader group of farmers. They can be emerging or developing farmers, but it's quite a broader group. One, it will be the ones that we have just focused on now, who are mainly farming on communal land at a small scale, or those who are in the livestock, you know, they're sort of using what I call an open system approach because they get to mix in the field. You don't demarcate and say from here to there, it's my land that can only graze here and therefore you, you're able to manage your grazing capacity and do your rotation and all that. And you have another group of those who are mainly beneficiaries of land for, and I call them the first generation commercial farmers in the sense that in terms of land, they have access to relatively a bigger amount of land held privately, even though they're still, you know, having some sort of a lease agreement with government. There are many differentiating factors. One, land ownership. Two, in terms of market orientation, are you producing for what market? We have farmers who are small scale and therefore may not necessarily be get towards producing for formal market because they are small in nature. Whereas there are those who are get or market orientated and in terms of production, they firstly have to acquire your offtake and be able to sell to bigger sort of retail store. Why am I saying this? If you look at the price farmers receive in the formal market vis-a-vis the prices that they receive in informal market, there's more money to be made per unit in an informal market. The chicken that I will buy for my household from a chicken producer versus the chicken that will be bought by a retail store, you'll find that the price difference there is quite huge. And as a result, you know, the formal market is not so attractive. It may seem attractive, but once you start using it, most of the farmers will start saying, you know, they are ripping us off. Because one, you sell at 10 rand, one head of cabbage. When you look in the retail store, that same cabbage that you sold at 10 rand, is sold at 30 rand. It means that they're making 20 rand out of your hard work. 
Similarly, with livestock, if you're selling your one cattle for a wedding, for a funeral, versus when you want to sell it in a formal market through an auction, those prices are not sort of the same. So the differentiators there, they go category by category on land access, on issues related to market. But overall, it's around the entrepreneurial acumen of the jockey you find people who are geared towards business. In most cases, such people are not only looking at farming as the only source of income for their enterprises. You interface with them, you are in the agriculture sector, they are a farmer. But you find that they interface in the construction sector as construction specialists. They are also doing many other things. So diversification tends to also be part and parcel of what they do. But generally, in terms of education, they seem to have acquired more education, at least your diploma, your post-metric qualifications here and there, and that also assists. And lastly, it's on the issues related to record-keeping. Those who are not successful versus being the successful ones, that they're not so successful farmers, they tend not to keep records. Their product are bought, is not recorded anywhere, a week, a month goes by, they hardly count the number of stock that they have. And as a result, they are unable to produce eventually the financials, which are some of the things that are required when you want to access finance. The first thing that they want to know is your repayment ability. And how do you determine the repayment ability is to look at the historical record of a farmer. And unfortunately, for those who don't keep records, you find that that is not the result. They miss out on many opportunities. You know, the latest was when we had the COVID-19 pandemic. There was a disaster relief fund. As a result, a lot of farmers missed on that because they couldn't prove that indeed they've been in farming for so long by producing their records. Lovuyo, I'm going to go over to you. Partnerships and collaborative efforts are quite important when it comes to ensuring or developing farmers. What collaborative efforts or, or partnerships has Kahiso Trust engaged in to actually bolster the financial prospects and sustainability of emerging farmers? Can you discuss any successful outcomes from these collaborations? Yes, in terms of the collaborations at Kahiso, if you look at our model, the farmer aggregator model, where, like I mentioned, we give the loan not to the individual farmer, but to an entity that is bolstered, market access and technical expertise. That alone, it forces the process to incorporate that element, you know, of collaboration and partnership. Just to answer your question in terms of an example of our partnering in terms of this, we have in the province of Limbombo, one of our loans recipients is a farmer aggregator that is run by one of the big tail companies. Not sure if I can mention the name but one of the top international retail uh, giants, you know, in the country. So they have set up like an SPV that operates a pack house. They've got under their employ technical experts who work with a cater of emerging farmers in the local area. And these farmers are assisted with technical expertise and their harvest goes to the pack house that then goes into the supermarkets of this retail company. In that sense, we've got under one roof access to a market in the form of these supermarkets. The entire supply chain network, you know, of this state company, they've got under their employ there, they've got these technical experts, you know, work with the emerging farmers to ensure that the produce is up to the required standard. 
and it's always available at the required time, etc. You know, in terms of the produce. That is one example, Duncan, that we can give that ensures that the element of partnership is built in, into the model. Malapane, as we wrap up the conversation, just to also bring you back into it, Lavuya talks about the importance of collaborations and, and, and partnerships. And we've seen this over again, how it's important for different organizations or individuals to come together for the sake of agricultural development, especially when it comes to emerging farmers. What is your last words when it comes to the importance of addressing the challenges or issues that emerging farmers face? What are we missing, Malapane? And what is your advice to organizations like Kahiso Trust, government agencies, NGOs, and even private sector? The most important thing is to also sort of motivate or encourage farmers to be involved in farm organizations. Earlier on, you asked about the separator between those who are successful and not. I tend to argue that those who tend to network more have access to information more also. Then a good chance of becoming successful. And how do you network more? How do you get more information? By attending your study groups, which tend to be organized by farmer organizations like ourselves in AFASA by attending Farmers' Day, similar to the ones that Food from Zanzibar has been championing throughout the year. In that way, you get to meet other farmers who may have gone through the path that you're currently going through, and they can play some sort of a mentorship role and say, you know, don't do it this way, do it this way. It has worked for me. So in that way, I think we are sort of likely to breed more and more successes. And maybe lastly, Duncan, is that the issue of partnership. A lot of farmers, especially emerging farmers in general, tend to see their, their you know, neighbors as sort of competition to them. And I want to advise them to look at it differently. Instead of seeing them as competition, rather look at them as an opportunity to sort of collaborate. I share a story of the visit we had in the Western Cape where we went to Hrapo and we met the apple producing farmers in Hrapo. We went there along with Hot Grow. And these are farmers who are producing at large scale. An individual farmer can own up to 200 hectares. Yet they have collaborated collectively and they are marketing their products through one platform, through one brand, the True Cape. And I think that is something that we need to learn, you know, that emerging farmers need to learn. And I think it's the same model also that is followed by cheap farmers in the Eastern Cape who are doing shearing of wool, wool and more hair, you know, through the shearing shed. And in that way, they are able to sort of market their wool together collectively rather than individually having to ragged their wool in smaller quantities. So those partnerships are quite important. And last but not least, a partnership with agribusinesses. If you have a partnership with agribusinesses, it becomes easier for you to produce because chances are the agribusiness is an entry point towards opportunities. If there's a Kariso trust, for instance, that want to support, say, you know, sugarcane farmers, they are likely to go to a sugarcane agribusiness, someone who processes sugarcane and say, we're interested to support small-scale sugarcane producers. Can you link us to them? Therefore, such collaboration needs to be nurtured. 
And in the process, I think there'll be more and more successes than we are currently experiencing. Dubuyo, uh, final words from you. Uh, what long-term strategies or plans does Kahiso Trust have in place to actually continually address the persistent challenges that hinder emerging farmers and the issue around access to funding and support within South African agriculture? The issue that looks at, at things, you know, in the long term, that looks further, you know, into the future, that's a very good consideration. What we have done at, uh, at Kahiso, we have reshaped, you know, our thinking in terms of our offering you know, and our interventions in that we have grouped the people that we would like to assist in terms of, of the sector and developing the sector and transforming the sector, making it more inclusive. Particularly with regards to that, what we have said is that we have grouped them into three categories, where the first one is the influence category, we've got the build category, and we've got the grow category. With the influence category, the target is more your young people your school learners, uh, your youth in particular. We would like to influence young minds to look at agriculture with a different lens, to see agriculture as an opportunity and as a possible career option. For instance, we have seen images where there's been funding, you know, being given, sources, you know, which is not wrong in itself. But when you look, you find that the beneficiaries tend to be older people with the youth being bystanders, you know, and onlookers who have got very limited interest, you know, in terms of the sector. Yeah. Whereas on the other side, we are saying that the sector is the future. The people will always, will always have to eat. There will always be a need for food security, but then also it's not even limited to food for that matter. I mean, some of the products that come from agriculture go in, even into manufacturing, you know, into other sectors besides uh, food as such. One of the of the key target areas in terms of our our interventions and our solutions is the young people to address exactly what you ask in terms of your sustainability in terms of the long term. That is what we have we have done. I think this is also, uh, to a large extent, an outcome of the fact that Kahiso Trust, from its early beginnings, it's always been about education. It's always been about the young person to ensure it's always been about the future. And put it that way, yeah. So that is our stance in terms of that. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. That was, of course, Luvuyo Sibani, Business and Fund Manager at Kahisa Trust, Zalani Kiva, Secretary General at Contolesa, as well as Malapane Tamaha, an agricultural economist and representative for Minister Tokodidiza on the Maize Trust. You can, of course, read more on this topic by visiting www.foodformzanzi.co.za. And as always, that's a wrap. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. From me, Duncan Masiwa, our technical producer, Megan van der Vind, and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi, thanks for listening. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.